everyone, it's Saturday. Time for another episode of Beyond Garnet. Let's get creative. Maybe too intense for some listeners. Maybe unsuitable for sensitive people. May cause dizziness. May cause drowsiness. May cause excitability. Safety goggles may be required for listening. Take with food. Avoid contact with skin. Avoid extreme temperatures and store in a cool, dry place. This is not legal advice. Must be present to it. Contents under pressure may contain small parts. Listen at your own risk. Hey everyone, happy Saturday. You'll know my guest today from films like Memphis Bell, The Cutting Edge, and Fire in the Sky, the always wonderful D.B. Sweeney. Hey, D.B., thank you for joining me today. Good to be here, thanks. I'm super excited to talk to you. Oh, thank you. It's good to talk to you. So I have to tell you, I have seen The Cutting Edge probably hundreds of times. In that film, you're a hockey player. Did you grow up playing hockey? No, I was a baseball player. You know, I played soccer and... uh... You know, soccer season and baseball and basketball and basketball season, but I never played hockey. Uh, I grew up in Long Island where the ponds outside really never froze solid enough to skate. So it was an inside sport for the rich kids, so uh, I was not part of that group. Oh. And when I got to Cutting Edge, they gave me three months to learn to skate, so uh, I just went every day and did the best I could. And they figured they were going to get stunt doubles and everything, it was all going to work out, and it did. Wow, that's pretty cool. That was probably grueling, like learning that that quick it was you know in the beginning uh, i could barely move you know i'd go down the ice and uh you know you just you're wobbling around and then i had a guy come from ccm skate company he gave me some skates and, and fitted them properly and uh you know they could they know they used to heat them and then vacuum seal them to your feet and that was a whole revelation for me and i felt more confident and it started out you know, like 45 minutes or so on the ice and by the end of the three months i was skating about six or six and a half hours a day which was really uh it was really fun. It's, you know, anything you do for three months every day, like it's your job, you know, if you do it religiously, you're going to improve. And, and uh, we, we made big leaps and bounds, both more and I. She also had to learn from nothing. So I learned something about you when I was sort of going over tidbits about you to do the, the podcast. I had seen Mountain Men, and I'd heard the narration, and I was like, I know that voice. Who is that? And then I realized it was you. I love Mountain Man. We just started recording the new season, which is going to be uh, premiere on History Channel in about, I think, about six weeks. And uh, it, I just love that show. These guys, they live off the grid, and they're, you know, iconoclastic individuals. And uh, I, I just love everything. It's very escapist TV for me. And, and when I first did it, I thought, well, I don't have anything in common with these four guys who live out in the middle of nowhere. Right. And trap and chase wolves and do things that they do. And, and then I thought, well, you know, it's like a character. So I'm gonna, I want to make the narrator be like the fifth mountain man. So the voice that I do on that show is a little exaggerated, but I feel like it fits in with the, with the style of the show. Oh, sure. Absolutely. What were you like as a kid? Yeah, I was just kind of a normal kid. I, you know, I played sports, like I mentioned. Yeah. Uh, you know, no, I just grew up in a small town. My dad was a school teacher, and then he became a guidance counselor. And it was just a very normal, small-time existence, and, uh, you know, I didn't know anybody in show business or have any aspirations to show business. I wanted to play left field for the Boston Red Sox, and, uh, <laughs> you know, when I got injured in college, and I had to look around and do something else, I, I kind of settled on acting. Um, I had done a play as a senior in high school and enjoyed it, but it wasn't like, it was just sort of something to do with senior high school, and, you know, I, I didn't really ever think anything was going to come of it, but I, while I was trying to recover from my injury, um, I wanted to stay busy, so I enrolled in college near where I was, in New York, and uh, into the acting program because I thought it would be super easy, and I thought, you know, there'd be 50 girls, and it would, you know, be the easiest thing to do for a little while before I got out. 
And I got hooked almost right away. I started doing plays with my friends who also couldn't get parts. The main, you know, prestigious NYU productions. None of us would get parts, so we sort of went off on our own and started our own little uh, theater off to the side. And we did a bunch of plays and pretended that they weren't school plays and invited casting directors and directors from outside the, you know, the school. And when I was a junior, I got a bite as an agent actually came. It set up like 50 seats, and there'd be like 57 empty seats. <laughs> one night, one of the seats was filled by uh, an agent, and he signed it. That is a great story. I love that because you created your own opportunities. And I think people need to take those risks and keep doing those things to be successful. Yeah, I mean, if you, do, you, know, if you enjoy doing something, well, why don't you still do it? And, you know, unless it's like something like being a sniper or something, <laughs> you know, I probably wouldn't practice that. But probably not. You know, I guess you practice it at the range. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think people should dive in. And, you know, if you, if you enjoy cooking or you want to be you know, a baker on a cooking show or something, you know, go get some flour and butter and get after it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what has been your most challenging film role to date? What do you consider to be the most challenging role that you've played? Um, I did a movie called A Day in October, which we shot in Denmark, and it's uh, based on a true story of the Danish resistance to the Nazis in World War II. Uh, it, it, was, it was challenging because it was American actors, and then everybody else was Danish, the other actors, the crew, and everybody. So we're doing a movie, a famous story about the Danish resistance, but we're doing it in English. And the Danish people were a little bit annoyed that Americans had to play their heroic characters in order for the movie to get made. So it was just weird on the set, you know, because I was trying to speak English the way the Danish people were speaking English, just sort of, a, you know, with a Danish accent. And it was, the whole thing was a little bit weird and challenging, but I'm really proud of the movie, and, and uh, it looks beautiful. It never really got a big release here in America, uh, but it was very popular in, in Denmark, and, and uh, it's a nice piece of, you know, historical drama. Kelly Wolf is terrific, and Daniel Gonzalez, the actor, was on Murder One. He's a really talented actor. He's got a great character in this thing. And it's just a good movie. If people check it out. Day in October, that was really challenging. And, you know, when I did Lonesome Dove, I had to learn how to ride a horse, so that was a big challenge, especially because Tommy Lee Jones really hated the idea that some kid from Long Island who didn't know how to ride a horse was playing the top cowboy in Lonesome Dove. So <laughs> yeah. He was against it. And, you know, so that was a challenge, you know, keep my wits about me around Tommy Lee. And, uh, you know, every movie has its own little challenges. I mean, some of the movies that, uh, you know, I've been in a lot of movies that are not widely known. And sometimes, you know, you sign on to a movie where the script is not really where it needs to be. And you figure we'll get that fixed as we go. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. So, you know, the challenge is, is you know, when you're on a movie like Cutting Edge, we have a great script and a lot of support studios behind it. That's not as hard as being in a movie where it's like an independent movie and the script is kind of at, and, you know, the, the people that are maybe not in the perfect casting situation of the, you know, the parts they've been assigned to. Right. But that's when you really, you know, earn your bones and that's where you prove your value. And you can, anybody can be great and, uh, you know, like, I mean, I have a lot of admiration for Tom Cruise, but he's been in A-list kind of movies his whole career. And you have the best cameraman, the best editor, the best co-stars, you know, you have so many things going for you that, you know, it's easier to be good in a situation like that. It's like when you're in a, in a kind of a, you know, an independent movie where the director's on the second movie or first movie and trying to figure it out, you know, those, those movies are, that's why I think if you can be good in a bad movie, that's when you really show that you, you know what you're doing. So what do, how do you think um, important training is to actors? Well, I think that uh, it's, I think the best training an actor can have is to do theater. If you do live theater, the audience will train you. you know, yeah. If they can't understand what you're saying, uh, I mean, it's going to have a different meaning now with this uh, coronavirus, but it used to be, 
if you do, you know, when I was doing plays in New York when I started out, if these people start coughing, they're not doing it necessarily consciously, but when they cough, that's, they're saying they're bored or they can't hear you, and they're just communicating that their discomfort. So the more coughing that's going on in the audience in those days, I mean, now everybody's probably going to treat you like a fire and they'll run to the edges. But, right. But it used to be a signal to the performers that, you know, pick up the pace, be more clear, be funnier, be better. So, you know, you, the audience kind of teaches you not just the coughing, but, you know, you see they're moving in their seats and they're discomfort. You know, you, you sense they're giving you this feedback uh, of how it's going. And so you learn what you're good at and what you need to be better at pretty quick. I'm not a big fan of acting classes because I feel like it's just an artificial setting and, and it's just, you know, you're competing against other actors and people don't necessarily always give you honest feedback. They give you feedback that they think advances them in the pecking order of the class or all kinds of other agendas are going on. But I'd say if you get out there and do a play in front of three people or 300 people, whatever you can get, and uh, you'll learn how to, how, to, how to be an actor or you'll learn that you're not an actor. Yeah, I think theater is, is definitely important. Um, I think it's, you know, it's a whole different world than film or TV, of course, and you've done all three. I mean, there's a vast difference between each world, but it all comes back yeah. to being passionate about acting. Yeah, you know, there's different techniques. I mean, you know, when you're, you're not able to project your voice without sounding like you're projecting your voice, although now on Broadway they have microphones, which really irk me. You know, when I hear, when I hear somebody's voice that's been amplified, I feel like, well, why... I'm only four feet away. If they knew what they were doing, they could get it out to me. But that, those days are gone, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I guess because they want to rent those headsets. So to rent those headsets, you have to be able to have a microphone. But I, I don't like that sound. But, but you know, when you do a play in a, in a non-mic theater, you have to learn how to send out your voice, you know, 30 feet away, where it sounds like you're just talking to somebody three feet away. And when you get on a movie or a TV set, you have to learn, you know, how, how to hit a mark, you know, how to stop where, they, where the camera's ready for you to stop. And then how to, uh, you know, you learn to, to play different levels of, uh, you know, size based on, you know, what lens they have up. You know, you learn, yep. you learn that, okay, if it's a 200 millimeter lens, that means it's pretty much my mouth and my eyes. So you don't have to, you don't want to do anything too big. Yeah. So do you have any current projects right now that you can tell us about? Yeah, the thing I'm most excited about is Two Down Mix, which you can currently watch on YouTube. If you just go to YouTube and put in Two Dumb Mix with no B, Two Dumb Mix. Um, you'll see this new short I have with Sean Austin. And uh, we premiered a couple weeks ago on Facebook Live. We had a huge watch party. It was awesome. And you can still watch it on Facebook if you want. Just go to Facebook, 2 Mix. Or go to the website, 2 mixcom It'll tell you, if you forget all this other stuff, it'll tell you what to do. But uh, it's just me and Sean, and it's, it's my homage to sort of the old uh, slapstick comedy studios, Abbott, Bell, Laurel, Hardy. I wanted to do something funny, physical comedy, and I want to work with Sean Austin, so this, this touches all three bases. I had to uh, do a bunch more episodes, um, so hopefully we get a lot of eyeballs on YouTube and people give us feedback about their story ideas and, and uh, what they like about the characters, what they don't like about the characters, and just, you know, kind of let us know what's going on because it's a labor of love for Sean and I, and we wanted to, we just wanted to ease everybody's burden, not just necessarily during this crisis of the coronavirus, but, you know, in general, people work hard and they live their life Everybody needs to laugh. So, I mean, I'm so grateful to people like Dave Chappelle and uh, Bill Burr and the great comedians that are out there. But that's not really what Sean and I do. We're actors, but we know how to play funny characters. So that's what we're trying to do here. I love it. I'm definitely going to check it out. I think we definitely need to laugh more. I think we're getting away from that. So I'm excited to see this. 
Yeah, a lot of comedy now, it's, you know, people say, oh, that's inappropriate, you can't make fun of this, right. fun of that. And so the challenge of this was, what can everybody agree on? So we got two drunk white guys, drunks, and so they, you know, we're making fun of ourselves, so there's no group that can be agreed. <laughs> yeah. for all my friends, drunk Irish guys. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's meant to be just good fun, everybody can watch it, it's not... It's not too salty where kids can't watch it, and it's just, you know, the Three Stooges, Abbott Costello is the template. I love it. Who inspires you in your life for anything? Who do you, Who's someone that you find inspirational? I know you probably have a list. Everybody does, but who's someone that sticks out to you that's inspiring? Well, the two best friends I've ever worked with uh, are Robert Duvall and Ed Harris. And, and uh, Ed Harris did me the honor of uh, appearing in my movie that I wrote and directed, Two Tickets to Paradise. And I always watch everything Ed does because he, he's just so meticulous. And in the same way, that, that's what he shares in common with Rob Duvall. Um, you know, from The Godfather to Lonesome Dove to Great Cantini. Duvall always has this very specific um, behavior, you know, moment to moment. It, it just always feels real and believable and interesting. And the same thing for Ed. So those are guys that I, you know, when I'm doing something, if I'm on a set in the middle of the night and it's raining, it's kind of, you feel like, oh, this, this movie might suck. <laughs> I just think, well, you know what, it's going to show up on TV somewhere, some night, Bob Duvall might flip through and watch it, so this scene, this scene's for Bob Duvall or Ed Harris, I'm sure neither will ever watch it, but that's what I try to think of, and that's where I derive inspiration in, in sort of uh, difficult moments at work. Well, those are a couple of good ones, those guys are brilliant. So what do you think is the most challenging aspect of being an actor? Well, getting parts is a hard thing. I mean, I'm, I'm in my uh, fourth decade of working where, you know, I haven't had to do anything else. So, I mean, I've had a usual level of longevity and success. And, uh, you know, you can't wait around for somebody to call you. Like, this is a mixed thing. I started it. Uh, I wanted to work with Sean, so I wrote it. I, I put up the money, and, uh, you know, it wasn't like a big budget thing. But I got Sean to do it, and we went and did it. And my movie, Two Tickets to Paradise, the same thing. I called my friends, John McGinley, and... Ed Harris, and got them to come down. I wrote it with Brian Curry, who was one of my closest friends. And uh, he's since gone on to write Green Book, with the best screenplay Oscar, and yeah. best picture Oscar. So I was so excited to see that, you know, because Brian just struggled for a long time and had so many movies that he wrote that didn't get made. And so, you know, I mean, I wish I was part of that whole ride, but, you know, that was that was him and Peter Farrelly and my other friend, Nick Ronaldo. And, and so it was just great to see guys that have been, you know, at it for so long get rewarded. So, uh, um, that, that's uh, that's inspirational to me as well. That, that there's always a chance that you know this next thing you do might be the thing that uh, is the best thing you've ever done. So I, I try to you know think of, of uh, positive thoughts and just keep moving forward. Yeah, and you know that's a great piece of advice for people who are just starting out in acting or directing or or what have you. The next thing you do could be the big thing. So don't give up. Keep going. Everybody yeah. walking around the world, especially in this world of reality TV and YouTube. Uh, all the places where you can get seen is that every one of the six billion people in the world is, is one movie or one show away from being a star. Yeah. Scary. Yeah, but a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, uh, it used to be when Hollywood was, you know, sort of very closed system and stratified. Um, you know, you had to get discovered by certain people and you had to have a great degree of luck. And, uh, you know, it's different now. You can create your own opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So are you a collector of anything? Do you have any certain thing that you collect? No, I mean, I have a few. Uh, I wish I had collected a little more memorabilia from my, you know, the early part of my career. I do have uh, part of my, my vest from uh, Lonesome Dove that my character wore. And I have, uh, 
you know, I think I, I still have the jersey that I got Bobby Hull to sign the jersey that I wear in uh, uh, the Cutting Edge, the jersey that I give to Maura Kelly's character for Christmas present. I have that actual jersey, and I got Bobby Hull to sign it, so that's on my wall. That's cool. But uh, no, I don't really have uh, you know a couple movie posters. I you know I'm not a big collector. Yeah. Okay. So, do you have any big future goals that you've set for yourself? No, I just keep going. You know, I mean, I, I'm pretty clear about you know my job is uh, I'm not out here to tell people what to think. I'm, I'm an entertainer, and I want to continue to use you know, whatever gifts I have to you know create and participate in stories and uh, entertain people and take them away from you know life is a struggle for a lot of people. And, yeah. And, uh, I just feel like I have I've been given the, the great opportunity and you know, in a way of responsibility to try and continue to, to do stuff that takes people away from the, the suffering in their life or the, the sadness in their life, and, you know, just to lift them up. Yeah. Well, I think you do a good job of that. So what is a role you would like to play in the future that you're like your dream role? Um, I don't have a particular character or something I like to play uh, as much as, there's, there's a world of, like, NASCAR is a really interesting world to me, and, and I feel like, you know, I thought Days of Thunder was okay, but I think there's a better movie to be made about NASCAR. Of course, Talladega Nights was just, you know, making fun of it. Sure. But I think that there's something in that world, or there's a reason why that sport is so popular and people are so passionate and loyal to it. And it's some of it is the characters of the, uh, you know, a lot of these drivers, they, whether they put on a persona or it's actually who they are, which is a little bit of a gunslinger for one of those guys. You know, what we liked about Westerns back in the day, there's something about that in that world that I'm trying to figure out a way in. I'm, I'm going to find a story and write it. There you go. Line. So that, that, that's something that I want to uh, get into. Very cool. Do you like Westerns? Are you a Western fan? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the purest form of Hollywood movie. And, you know, so many of our greatest movies. I mean, The Searchers is, is, uh, it's not a perfect movie because the guy playing Ethan, Tom Wayne's, uh, uh, partner in the movie, and he's not as good as he needs to be. Yeah, to be opposite John Wayne. But other than that, it's a perfect movie, and and that guy's really good. If anybody hasn't seen The Searchers, I don't want to talk you out of seeing The Searchers. Yeah, but it's you know it's about as good as it gets. The yeah. Treasure of Sierra Madre with the Humphrey Bogart is, is not a traditional western, but it's a western, and you know there's, there's just so many great great examples of whether Shane High Noon. I mean these well, when our best actors get into Western like Gary Cooper in in, uh, um, uh, in, in uh, High Noon or you know what we what we want to name Jimmy Stewart in his great movies they, they tend to the Western fit the American movie star like it was. Yes, that is a perfect way to describe it. Yeah. Kevin Costner today in today's world when Kevin Costner's in a Western Kevin Costner's at his best. Yeah, I loved him in Open Range. That was a great movie. Yeah, tremendous. And, yeah. And, uh, Yellowstone. He's great Yellowstone, yeah. which is, you know, not, not really a traditional Western either, but it is a Western, and he's just great in that stuff, and, you know, he's great in Silverado. It's, you know, you put him on a horse or near a horse, and it, it taps into his, his, uh, his best appetite. Yeah. So who is someone you haven't worked with yet? You probably have a list for this, too. Who are some people you haven't worked with that you would like to work with in the future? Uh, well, uh, I guess... I just saw 1917. I thought that was pretty great. I love the work with Sam Mendes, the director. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's a few uh, uh, actors that I haven't gotten to work with that I'd like to work with. Uh, Christopher Nolan, the director, is, I think, probably one of the best directors. Mel Gibson is, I think, the most underrated director of Hollywood. I mean, he's got Passion of the Christ. He's got Apocalypto and Braveheart. 
And I defy anybody to put together a list of, well, maybe Christopher Nolan has a list like that. Um, I'd love to do something with Julia Roberts. I think she's underrated now that she's sort of fallen off of being a, you know, a page one star. And I think she's a good actress. I think she's got more to do. So there's a, there's a lot of people that I would love to work with that I haven't had the pleasure of working with yet. So this is a question everybody laughs at when I ask them. It's the goofiest question I ask anybody. Do you have a favorite type of cake? Of what? Cake? Like birthday cake? cake or a chocolate cake? Yeah, cake. Oh, I, I thought you said, you said cake. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I, yeah, I really like, uh, I mean, I like anything with chocolate in it, but I, I mean, my special one that I like to get on my birthday is Boston cream pie. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, my daughter started baking. She's 15, and she's gotten into baking the last few years. And she makes the most amazing chocolate lava cake now, so that's given the Boston cream pie a run for its money. Oh, chocolate lava cake's good, too. Oh, man, you're in trouble. You have, like, a really good baker in your house. You're going to be in trouble. I know, I know, i got to be careful. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so if you could give the listeners one piece of advice, what would it be? Be, be of good cheer. Yeah. I know, that sounds, uh, I like that because, uh, to me, it reminds me, if somebody used to say we were doing a play and we are doing things in theater, it just felt like something Shakespeare might say, even though I don't think he ever did. But the idea is that you got to go to work, you got your adversity, you got whatever's going on, and you can decide either to be in a bad mood or a good mood. And you really do control. It's one of the only things you control is your mood. So you have good cheer. It's contagious, and you know it gives you a better chance to accomplish the task in front of your team. I like it. Be of good cheer. I'm going to use that. I'm going to say that to people. You've inspired me to do that. I'm going to do it. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I believe it does. It's like when you smile at someone in the grocery store and they smile back. It's like it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So where can people find you on social media? Uh, well, on Twitter, it's Real DB Sweetie. It's same thing on Instagram uh, and Facebook. Uh, Facebook, I think it's Actor DB Sweetie. But if they if they go to uh, um, YouTube to see Two Dumb Mix, uh, I think that's a good place to start. Dumb okay. Mix, no B. And, uh, or twodumbmix.com uh, is a website that's got some stuff that's growing all the time where we're trying to build out this show. And uh, But I, yeah, I try to put stuff on uh, Instagram. I'd love if people follow me there or on Twitter, Real DB Sweetie. And uh, that'd be great. So uh, thank you for referring them to me. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. So um, where can people find some of your older films? Are they streaming or can they still get them on Amazon, yeah. on DVD? Or? Most, most of them are available if they just Google the name of the movie. Um, my, the film Two Tickets to Paradise that I uh, produced and directed, I actually just got the rights back from Paramount. With us, they had had them for ten years, so I'm gonna, we're going to re-release that movie. So that one will be coming up in the next this fall, I think, and that'll be great because you know finally you know the movie studio got all the money until now, but now I actually might see five dollars from it. <laughs> if people look at look for that one, that'd be great. If people promote that one, it actually happens. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, DB, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. And I will, when I post this, I'll put the website for Two Dumb Mix in the description and do a little click through. They can just click on it and go to the website. Awesome. Yeah. We'll follow you on Twitter and all that good stuff. Thank I, you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right. Thank you, DB. Bye-bye. Big shout out to Kevin McLeod over at Incompetech for our super slick theme song, Jet Fuel Vixen. And a big shout out to Michelle Lawson for our super amazing disclaimer.